Hi, this is Jason at BWC. Welcome to this podcast of our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale as he shares with the group. We are continuing on in our study in First and Second Peter. This is a way cool letter uh, from the Apostle Peter that had a stellar life. We talked about the, bio- the biography of Peter. And we're now, if you have your Bibles... I hope you plan on flipping tonight. Most of you are really good at Bible flipping. Those people that are scared, novice, bystanders, just hang with me and believe us. Those of you who like to see the word in your eyeballs, I know a lot of you use phones and and all your fancy stuff, uh, so that's cool too. We're going to look at 1 Peter, and we're going to start chapter 2 tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2, we discussed chapter 1, and what we've been doing is going pretty much verse by verse. And there's going to be times when we give lesson plans that are very relevant to issues and their topical studies. Uh, This uh, study that we're on is going to be straight up Bible. If you don't like the Bible, you probably won't be comfortable for the next few weeks. Um, This is an adult Bible study. And uh, the things that I have to tell myself... And I tell my wife, I get so stoked about the Bible, and I know not all, not all Christians do. For some Christians, the Bible is something that tells you what you can't do. For me, it's, it's like a living, breathing entity, which is what it should be for everyone. So I get excited about stuff that you guys may be just like, dude, you're just too happy about that stuff. I don't know. But uh, this, this book so far has really got me uh, interested. So let's read the first three verses. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted, and the Lord is gracious. Um, really not going to spend a whole lot of time on these first three verses. Um, l- let me paraphrase verse 1 for you. It's badness. It's a real generic term, badness. Um, deceit. I know some really cool men and women of God that have no problem with their little white lies. I've asked multiple sources of something silly. Like, why would that man and woman of God lie about that? And they've become comfortable with the white lies. So don't think it's just somebody cheating on their wife being deceitful. All right. Um, pretending, which we all know that's hypocrisy. That's the big word for pretending. You're an actor. Uh, jealousy and defamation. Um, those are a little more up-to-date terminology for verse 1. I like to really look at the Greek on everything that we talk about. And this is he does address conduct a lot. We remember when we talked that this letter is written by Peter to the Christians that are scattered because remember they're killing Christians right now when he's writing this. This is about 64 AD. People aren't down with Jesus, especially Nero. He's killing people. There's people we talked about the history of being pulled behind horses, being boiled alive, being burned at the stake. And so the Christians are kind of scattering throughout all the region and this is what this letter is addressing. So in the middle of this He has the audacity to tell them to stay in the faith, to live right. 
and and they're really they they got wanted posters out after these guys, and he has the audacity to start talking in verse one about their conduct, and I, you know, can you imagine if you're hiding for your life? You know, probably the closest thing that we would understand is like the Holocaust in World War II, when they would actually hide people, uh, or the Underground Railroad, or, or those are probably the most contemporary concepts we have of that type of bondage. Um, it's amazing to me that Peter continues to lay down how to act in the middle of all that. Um, verse 3. Let's, let's take verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now we all know that Paul at some point begins to talk about, I want to give you the meat, but you all... Y'all can't even handle the milk yet. What is referred there as milk? You know, when the, the first thing we think about is, oh, you, they're newborn babies. They're they're newborn in Christ. You've been born again. Uh, yes, but there's a lot of people that are choking on meat and they've forgotten their milk. There's a lot of people that have a lot of big tater salad words and they ain't living right. So you, your theology will never make you live right. Your theology will never change your heart. Your knowledge will never change anything about you unless your heart is first in it. So the milk there, it's not Christian light. It's the basic, understandable principles of the Word of God. There's times when we get so convoluted in spiritual things, people can't land on the ground because God told them to buy toilet paper, but they're mean to everybody they come in contact with. Well, that individual needs to go back to the milk of the Word, to the most simplest concepts and principles of the Word of God. So it's not a demeaning uh, thing, but we know that when babies get fussy, they need a bottle. Well, you've been born again, and the milk is that simple truth. Have you ever had a touchy stomach where you just, man, your stomach's just rocking and rolling? Now, is it wise for you to go get the hottest Mexican food or Indian food that you can find when you have a touchy stomach? No. But you need to go to something that's starchy and maybe not so flavorful so you can kind of settle your system. You've got to get back to the simple kind of eating till to, to you, you get past that bug. The problem is, uh, in Christianity, a lot of times... You, you get onto the solid food and you forgot the milk of the word. Don't, don't, don't tell me about the collar of the horse of the apocalypse if you don't love your neighbor. I don't care. It's completely irrelevant. So this is what he's telling them. So that's just the first three verses. Verse 4 through 8 is really where I want to get to tonight. And um, we'll read 4 through 8. Coming to him as a living stone... Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built upon a spiritual house, the holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. 
Verse 4 through 8 talks about a stone. I want to focus on this tonight. Now, I know most of you have been around the Bible for a long time, but I don't want to suppose everything. The Old Testament, Jesus is not in there per se. Jesus is revealed in the New Testament. But, but what you've got to understand is the Old Testament, Jesus is in there. It's referred to Old Testament, Jesus is concealed. New Testament, Jesus is revealed. He's throughout all of it. It may be in types and shadows. It may be in pictures. It may be um, images that would represent him, but not so much him in in earthly form. So keep that in mind as as we're looking uh, through some of this, because when when the first thing I think about when I hear about the stones, I'm reminded, in fact, it's, it's mentioned here, uh, Isaiah begins to talk about it. He prophesies about it. David talks about it in the book of Psalms. So this cornerstone, I, I know you've heard those those type of verses. Um, the, the cornerstone. I'm reminded, when it talks about it, he's not received, I'm reminded of the verse that says, He came into His own, and they received Him not. Now, who doesn't receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior? It's, it's referencing the Jewish people there. Um, I've got so much that I want to talk about, I'm trying to slow down. The cornerstone. Um, a lot of times, a cornerstone is a very important part of a building. And I brought this here to represent a cornerstone. There's times when they're building a new library, and they have a ceremony cutting of the ribbon Um, there may just be a couple of pieces of stone maybe part of the foundations or just above the foundation just above the footer and sometimes on these cornerstones or capstones some of them called they'll actually put names and the city or the, the the architect or whoever's important in that establishment so the cornerstone's very important and what this Bible verse is telling us is that Jesus, to decode it, <laughs> I think you all know that Jesus uh, is the cornerstone. Um, throughout the Old Testament, God is referred to as a rock. You guys know some Bible verses. Tell me some Bible verses in the Old Testament where God is referenced as a rock. You guys think of any? Be afraid to talk. Y'all never read any Bible verses that talks about God being a rock? I know if you read the book of Psalms, you've read it, you've read it a lot. Man, I thought all the scholars would be jumping right now, man. Where are you all at? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he, he is, he's the rock. Um, the, the ones that, that, that come to my mind is... David's constantly saying, he's my rock. He's my fortress. Um, he's my strong rock. He's the rock that's higher than I. Um, and, and a picture of a rock is representative of something that's steady. It's solid. It's not, it's not real movable. It's a solid thing. So it's really a cool picture of God. I love the verse, when I'm overwhelmed, I'm going to run to the rock that's higher than I. There's a place of stability that I can run to. He's my strong rock. He's my fortress. Uh, in Him will I hide. All, all those. There's a lot of references, and I could, I could throw down a bunch of them to you. But 
just for the sake of time, you guys understand when you see He is my rock, you know it's referring to God. Alright, I think that's understood. Let's go over to Exodus chapter 17. And you might say, why why are you kicking it to the Old Testament? I, I want us to look at a few things. Exodus 17, because we're reading New Testament, obviously, as our text. But Exodus 17 is, uh, there's some cool words in here, and you guys will probably remember it. Exodus 17, verse 3. And, And I'm just skimming through some of this. Verse 3. And the people thirsted for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Verse 4, So Moses cried to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? That's the prayer of all pastors. They are almost ready to stone me. (laughs) These guys didn't just have a bad hair day. These guys are ready to... It's time for a new leader. Let's get get Mo out the way. Let's let's kill him. Can you imagine? Man, most people that get mad at their pastor stop coming to church. These guys are ready to take him out. Right, <laughs> Verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, you guys have probably remembered that since vacation Bible school. They go to the desert. He delivers them from bondage and they all get there. What now? Cool, we're not slaves anymore, but what now, Moses? We're thirsty. You bring us out here to die and let all the camels die and our horses and donkeys. What's, why did you bring us out here? God says, I want you to go to this rock and I want you to strike it with your rod. And water came out. Now, it's estimated there's millions of people. You know, the, the scholars vary on the amount of people because you have to include women and children. And a lot of times in the Old Testament, they only reference men because they were all that counted back then. Uh, but there's millions of people that he's needing to water. So I don't know how fast this water's coming out of this rock. I don't know the diameter in which it's coming out. I don't know how far. I don't know if it's shooting across the county or if it's just dribbling. Most of us, in the little cartoons that we see in your pass-outs in Sunday school, you see a little dribble. I don't, I don't think that's how it was because that little dribble can't take care of two million people plus all their livestock. I don't know how it happened, but it's, it's important that we see this because remember people are referring to God as a rock he's their foundation he's their stability and it's it's no it's no uh mistake here that this location's important this rock of Horeb and i know if you're not down with old testament history stay with me for a minute this is important because this is on the same location as mount sinai it's the same location that God gave the law to Moses. You remember the story? Uh, children of Israel are like, you go see God. Whatever He tells you to do, we'll do. So He goes up and he, remember He comes down. He's got the glory of God. He has to put a veil over Him because He's been in, he's been in it with, with God. And He comes down with the Ten Commandments. Same place. He says, I want you to strike this rock. It's important 
um, because the Bible, those of you who have read the book of Romans, suggests that the law had one purpose. And it was to point to your inability to do it. The law was given basically to frustrate you, to, to point you to, to say, you've got to have a Savior because there's no way you're going to be able to maintain 613 laws. It's going to be impossible for you. Now, the laws that God gave, there was a lot of, you can go through and read them, but there was a lot of cultural issues, there was a lot of food issues, and there's a lot of wisdom in there that tell you, hey, don't be stupid, you need to do it this way, you need to do it this way. But then the scribes and the Pharisees start adding stuff to it, and it gets impossible. Um, so the whole purpose of the law is to point you to Jesus. Man, you need a Savior, because there's no way you can do all this. And uh, this is important because the same place that God gave the law, the Ten Commandments to Moses, in this same location, He's giving water from a rock. In the place where He gave the law, there's a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the, is the rock that gives out water. In the same location where God gives this law, where, where we know... Um, I wanted to reference a verse here, uh, Galatians 2.16. If you don't, you don't have time to flip there, that's fine. But knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we who believe in Christ, that we may be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I think it's really cool because when you think about it, why would God give him something that's so frustrating? Well, right here is a symbol in the middle of this law that's regimented, that's written on stone. Here's a picture of Jesus. Why, why is it a picture of Jesus? First off, it's a rock. Secondly, it delivers something that they have need of. This is a picture of God given mercy and grace in the middle of a very difficult structure of their life. Um, I want you to see that it's important. And since we're talking about Old Testament rock, let's take a side journey here. Um, maybe you don't flip there because I'm going to flip you. I'm going to take you somewhere else here too. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? It's found in John four thirteen. And Jesus answered her. And believe me, I'm trimming this way down because I could talk ten hours on one verse. John 4.13, Jesus answered and said, Whosoever shall drink of this water will thirst again. You all remember that story? But whosoever shall drink of the water that I give, they'll never thirst again. But the water that I give will be in him, and a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This trip to... There's so much there. This trip to Samaritan was out of his way. But God says, no, we're not going to go that way, boys. We've got to go through Samaritan. And they're like, you're supposed to hang out with those guys. And they go and they take care of the groceries. And Jesus is there at, at this well talking to this woman. Not supposed to talk. This, this is a cultural no-no. And uh, he's like, hey, how about a drink? And he's like, you know, if you drink this water, you'll get thirsty again. But if you drink my water, there's another picture of Jesus being living water. And I know verses are beginning to come to you right now. John chapter 7, 38. I love this verse. I quote it a lot if you hear me praying up here on Sundays. Uh, 
He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John seven thirty eight. Now, how is it that you can produce water? Is it because you're really saved and sanctified and full of the Holy Spirit? Um, the only way that you can produce water is because Jesus lives on the inside of you. And He produces water. He's the living water. And I know I could just floor you with a bunch of verses. And I, I have a tendency of doing that, so I've been trying to fight it this week. Because I could give you all 50 verses right through here probably. Um, just to in case you, you think that's a theory, First John would suggest otherwise. First John 4.13 Hereby know that we dwell in Him and He in us because He's given us the Spirit. You remember a long time ago we had the three cups and it's you and God and Father. The Father's in Him and He's in me and the work that I do. And it, you can't separate the Trinity of God. There's the three offices of God, but where one is, the other's in. So we nestled the cups together and, and you're surrounded by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember that visual that we did. That lends to that. Today I was really rocked because Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And you guys know I could be lengthen all these stories. Do you remember when Moses tells God, Man, I want to see you. And God's like, Well, nobody can see my face. But I tell you what I'm going to do for you, Moses. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. And I'm going to put my hand over you, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to walk by you. And when I'm almost by you, I'm going to lift my hand, and you're going to be able to see the backside of me. But no man will see my face. I always thought that's really cool. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, we did it at a band last night. We're singing the song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Remember that old song? Now... A cleft of a rock is just a cutout. It's a, it's a carving. A, it's, it's a place where you can put something. Have you ever thought about that rock? There was one place where Moses could stand where he was safe from the glory of God. And that was in the rock. Because there's no way that a man can stand in the fullness and the glory of God. Especially Moses is an ungenerated man. He wasn't born again. There's no way he can stand in the presence of a holy God. But God puts him in the cleft of a rock and covers him with his hand. Do you see the word rock there? I'm going to put you in Christ so that you can see my glory. There's only one place where you can stand to be in and around the glory of God, and that is hidden in Christ. And I know there's all kinds of Bible verses. I could, I'm could. i going to quit saying that. But, man, so many come to mind, and I don't want to just over-theology you tonight. But there's a place that you can hide that nothing in this world or nothing out of this world can harm you. There's a place of stability. It's, it's in a rock. It's the place that's, that's unmovable. He's the chief cornerstone. We're going to get to that cornerstone. That's kind of a cool little story too. 
Let's go back to First Peter where we were. And I, you know, I'm good at taking you all on side journeys. First Peter chapter 2 is where we are in our text. And you all know I'll have you flip here again, right? Little sword drills for you. First um, Peter chapter 2. Let's look at verse 6. I know we had it in your reading already, but... Therefore it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious... And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. I lay in Zion. Zion is defined several different ways in the Bible. For Generally speaking, it means Jerusalem. In some places, it means a greater region around Jerusalem, but it means around the holy city, city of David. Um, sometimes we expect church people to know what everything means. I've sung song for years. I didn't have any clue what I was singing, but it's on the slide, so it must be biblical. So that's the reason I I bring some. I slow down on some of these. We do quick drive-by revos. Um, the chief cornerstone, elect. Elect means he was chosen. He's talking about Jesus here. Chosen is important because he was chosen to be the spotless lamb before the foundations of the world. He was chosen. Remember a couple weeks ago when we were together, I got all excited because I said that while God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are making men, He knew that while He was forming him in dust that He would need a Savior. I got so excited about that revelation. It's a revelation to me. But He made man anyways, knowing full well He's never going to be able to live up to it. Why? Because God is all-knowing. And if God's all-knowing, there's nothing you can teach Him. There's nothing you can surprise Him with. So when He's creating man, He knows He's going to fall. Now, I don't know what kind of projects you've started, but if I start a project, I want it to be successful. If I know my project is going to fail, I'll probably stop and abort the mission right then and there. But God's forming man, saying, I'm all-knowing. Adam and Eve's temptation failure is not going to take me off guard, but I'm going to still want them. I need a family. I want a family. So, he was decided. Jesus, as we're forming this man, this is just, this is not written in the Holy Word anywhere. This is my thinking. This man that we're forming, that we're going to give dominion, this man that's going to be covered in our glory, he's going to need you. This is that, this is one little word in, in the second chapter that says elect. It takes me right back there. He was chosen. He was not a plan B. He was not damage control for sin. He's elect. And um, precious, of course. We know John 3.16. He's the only begotten. Jesus, Jesus is not son number 18 of God. He's His only son, right? So that's what makes Him precious. Um Verse 7, Therefore to those who believe He's precious, but to those who are disobedient, it's the stone that the builders rejected. This is a quotation out of Psalms 118. David's writing about this, saying there's going to be a stone that they're going to reject. Let me, let me explain for you. A, um, do you remember the construction of the Solomon's Temple? This is the temple that's crazy. Billions of dollars into this 
into this building. You all know the story about Solomon says, I'm going to build you this rocking church and, and I'm going to, I'm going to have the outer courts, inner courts and the holy of holies. I'm going to make this, it's going to be laid in gold. It's going to be made of the purest everything. Read about the construction of the Solomon temple sometime. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 5 and 6. And it tells you, for seven years he builds this. And he's contributed by all the rich people in that region. They say, yes, we want to help you build this. Pretty amazing story. Don't have time to go into all that tonight. But they decided, I'm going to build this. So they built it with the greatest stones. You know what a stone quarry is? A location where the, some of the greatest stones are, especially in that part of the world. He says, this is... This is such a precious site that you're not going to be able to just go out back with a rip saw and have your two-befores in the back. No, this place is different. This place is so holy that the stone quarry, the place where you work on cutting out these stones, where you do the chiseling, this place where you are making your measurements and your cuts, I, you, you, it can't be here. So go down the road a ways, and that's going to be the construction site. Because when you come on this property, you're going to put it together quietly and reverently. Read the story. It's really cool. He says, I don't want to hear the sounds of chisels and hammers. You bring it on site ready to go. It's important that you understand that. This is a holy place. This is a place that was built to spec by God's determination. Many of you know the story. The story goes, this is historical... This is off the Bible, but most religions accept this as true history. So we're going to go off grid here for a minute. Let me tell you the story. They're going through and they're getting the select stones that they want. It's all hand chosen. There's no, hey, what do you think about this rock? Yeah, put that in there. There's none of that. Everything's to a T. They come and these masons are are working on on all these stones and they come to this one stone. It's kind of odd. It's kind of different. It doesn't fit in with the theme that they're building and they've got they've got their blueprints laid out. And there's this there's this stone. Some people say it's substantial. Some people say they they don't know exactly the size. But there's this stone that's peculiar, and and they, they can't find a place to put it into their blueprint. And they get tired of walking around it. And they get tired of. Of, of, of it being in a way. So history tells us they take this stone and they roll it down a hill into a valley just to get it out of their way. Because I, I got these other stones that are important. I know how they fit. I know where we need to chisel and grind these down. So let's take this stone and let's just get it out of the way. I'm tired of walking around that dumb thing. I'm tired of working around it. It's in the way. That's the stone that the builder rejected. Historically speaking. They come to a much further place in the temple where they're, where they're getting close. And it takes seven years, so it's not like it's going to be done quickly. They come to a place where they're beginning to make a lot of progress. And there's this one place where they can't figure out what kind of stone to put in there. And they don't know what, what exact size they needed. And it turns out, history tells us, that the stone that they needed to fit in there perfectly was the stone that they discarded and rolled down the mountainside. And history says they go down into the valley. I believe it's the valley of Akon. And they retrieve this stone. And history says that that stone fit perfectly into Solomon's temple. And that was the chief cornerstone. 
Now, I want you to understand the symbolism of the spirituality of that. That which was rejected. I want you to think with a Jewish mind for a minute. That which was rejected, that which was discarded, that which was not reverenced, i.e. Jesus. He's, he's Mary and Joseph's boy. He's, he, he's a teacher, he's a rabbi, but he's not what we're looking for because we're looking for somebody to set up an earthly kingdom. Just let's discard him, let's, let's reject him. We don't receive you as the, as the Son of God. We don't receive you as the Savior. And the very thing that they're trying to build will never be fulfilled without the chief cornerstone. The Bible says that, and and for those of you who study end times, I'll let you get all the details, but I do know that at some point that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is is the Lord. I don't care how many times you rejected Him. I don't care how many times you walked around Him. I don't care how many times you've discarded Him. At some point, you're going to recognize that Jesus is the Lord and He's the only way to the Father. So, when you begin... To, I've, I've sang those songs for years. The stone that the builder rejected. I don't know what the heck that means, but what's the next slide? That's the stone the builders rejected. And He's the cheap cornerstone. It's, it's important that we understand that and again some of that is history not necessarily biblical okay so i want you to take that with a grain of salt and do your own research but many theologians go along with the, that's a very possible uh, contingency there um to some it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense verse 8 says you know i don't care what you say you're going to offend somebody when you start going waving your Jesus banner out there. Somebody's going to get mad at you. I've heard of people where bosses say, look, you only be talking this Jesus stuff because it's an offense to somebody. There's shows that have been taken off the air because they talk about Jesus too much. It's not politically correct to talk about Jesus. Jesus is offensive to people who don't receive Him. And uh, He's offensive to most Jews. <laughs> Because they don't receive him as, as, as the Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail. You know, a church stands for something. Even, even if you just, even if you're not into to structured, organized religion. Those people that are, I have a sense of spirituality. You know what? They, they've got a lot of stuff they can teach us. Because we're so regimented and so denominational and so this and so that and so doctrinal this and doctrinal that and only pieces of it came from God. And I think they've got some things they could probably teach us. I study all kinds of things and I find so much clarity. If they would just look in the Word of God, they'd see it. But even if you don't, even if you're not down with the structured church, it's always stood for morality in a city. A local church body has always stood for somebody that will stand up, a place of shelter for those who love God. It's a place of high morals. It's a place where you guys have seen on CNN some of the goofballs that have, they don't speak for us because they're idiots. Have you seen these religious weirdos up there holding signs and, and they don't do anything in love? Well, that's. That's not being Christian. That's just being stupid. But they they call themselves this group or that group or this group. And they don't represent us. But throughout history, and there always will be, 
something against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have as many fans as we'd like. We have a lot of people that are trying to tear it down. And they've tried for 2,000 years to destroy the church. While Peter's writing this, they're trying to destroy the church. Literally, man and woman by man and woman. In fact, that was one of Paul's missions. I'm going to destroy this remnant. Back then, they called it the way. They called them zealous Christ people. Um, ever since then, they, they've continued. But this, the gates of hell will not prevail. But that does tell you there will be battles to stand your ground. Ultimately, the church is a people. It's not a structure. It's not a people. It's not a denomination. The church is the people of God. A lot of times when you see church in, 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 the, in the word, it means people. But occasionally you'll see where it means an assembly of people. We'll go on. This is really cool. I'm really down with this. Go over to Matthew chapter 16. We can't talk about the rock without talking about this. Matthew 16. I know we we usually uh, try to be a little more interactive. I'm trying to throw a lot at you tonight, though, so forgive me. If you have something to say, we'll talk. We'll talk here at the end. We're we're, we're rounding the corner. We're rounding third. Matthew chapter 16, a passage you know very well. Matthew 16, go to verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? I'm the Son of Man. Who do they say I am? And so they said, now listen, He's talking to His disciples. He's talking to the twelve. And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He talks to the twelve again and he says, But who do you? My hands selected guys that have been hanging with me for nearly three years now. Those of you who have had dinner with me. Those of you who have seen me heal the blind and you've watched withered hands grow. Who do you, twelve, who do you say that I am? Instantly, before we go on with this story, I go back in my mind to when Jesus is walking on the water and the twelve are in the boat. And who is it that speaks up and says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. It was Peter, right? Any of them could have said the same. Any of them could have got out of that boat, but Peter was the man. Jesus is addressing the twelve here once again. (laughs) And who is it that speaks up? Verse 16. And Simon Peter answers and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys in the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Simon was his name. Barjona, which means he's the son of Jonah. So, it's Jonah's boy by the name of Simon. Jesus changes his name right here in this passage. He says, you know what? It's cool. I know you're Jonah's boy. I know everybody calls you Simon. But from now on... Your name is Peter, which means rock. 
And upon this rock I'll build my church. Now, there's three trains of thoughts here that that different religions uh, look at. There's three points of view. Everybody talks about what's this this rock that that God's going to build His church upon. And uh, one religion believes it's Peter. Catholic. Peter is considered the first pope. So, there are those who said, because of this verse, that Peter is the rock that the church will be built on. Therefore, he's the first pope of the Catholic church, and the church was literally built because he kind of was built upon for there. The other school of thought is, this revelation that you got, dude, this revelation... You know what's so cool about this revelation is because it's before the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. How did he get this revo without being filled with the Holy Spirit? This is before Jesus breathed on them and filled them. But he still got this revo. That's crazy. He's revealed by God the Father put it on him. So this is, this is one of the few times where you see Jesus shocked. There's only other couple times in the Bible where he's shocked and, and taken back by the faith of people. This is one place where he's taken back and saying, Oh my Lord, or oh me, uh, I didn't tell you that. That was revealed to you by my dad, by my father, by God Almighty. Um, the other is that Jesus is the rock. That's where I land. I believe in the revelation that Jesus is the rock. Maybe we can combine two there. There's a, there's a revealing power. But Jesus is the rock. We went through several of these verses that said, I'm the rock of your salvation. I'm the rock. I, I've been all the way through the Bible. You see me as one of my symbols, one of, one of my types, one of my shadows is a rock. Jesus is the rock. And um, verse 21, um, let, let me make sure of this. From that time on, I know we're doing a side journey here. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that I've got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. Now, never mind the prophet Isaiah and the prophet David had already talked about it, especially Isaiah in, in, in depth about. Remember the Bible verse that says, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. That's the prophet Isaiah writing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus would ever be named in the earth. So, this is the first time that Jesus gets their attention. Look, I know you've read the prophecies. It's not getting there, guys. It's not landing. Right here is the first time they really become aware. Wait a minute. You're going to die? Remember when he begins to talk about you destroy this temple in three days? All right, Stuff's flying over their head. This right here lands in verse 21. And Peter took him aside, being a good friend that he is, and said, began to rebuke him. and said, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now the human side of me says, Dude, Mario, if somebody's coming to knock you down, we're getting a posse together. Ain't no one going to take him, take him down because i got your back. This is what Peter's thinking. There's, an, there's a sense of allegiance. Let's give him that. Remember what happened when they tried to come to arrest him. He's the, he's the dude that took the sword and did some ear lopping, right? 
So he, he's, he's a quick on his feet, believed to be short-tempered, not real thought out, but he's a man of action. So I got mad props for Peter. Now, I want you to... Verse 23. He's trying to save Jesus' butt, okay? Let's just, let's just... He's looking out for his... Not to be irreverent, but he's looking out for, for his leader. <laughs> I'll change that terminology. Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, wait a minute. I want you, if you have your Bibles, I want you to see something. <laughs> Verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, <laughs> because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Verse 23. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> There's a change of events right up in here. So he's going, Jesus is giving him props in verse 17. Wow, you're connected up with God. Verse 23, he's calling him Satan. I can't imagine to go from, man, God says I'm tuned in to get out of my way, boy. I, I just can't imagine in the same scenario, in the same scene. It's got to be quite a drastic difference there. Um, <laughs> what Jesus is addressing is Peter is talking in the flesh. Why did that bug Jesus so much? I got food for thought for you. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. You remember how awesome it was? Jesus is 30 years old. He's getting launched into his full-time ministries. He's the River Jordan. John the Baptist baptized him. And a voice from heaven comes and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came and lit like a dove on his shoulder. So we got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a big thing. Something big's happening. When we see the three, the three Trinity Godhead all in one scene, we know it's big. It's the launching of Jesus. But he had to be baptized. He goes from this stellar moment into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And he's, he's tempted, he's hungry, and, and Satan comes along and begins to tempt him. You guys know the scene. There's several things he says, make these, I know you're hungry, make these stones bread, show me that you're the hand of... Okay, well, I'll take you to the pinnacle, throw yourself down... Angels will take care of you, God. He starts quoting the verses back to the Son of God, which cracks me up. But when he takes him up to the far point and he says, I want you, I don't know how he done this. It had to be in another dimension, another realm, in the spirit, I'm assuming. He says, I'm going to take you to this high point and I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world. Remember that? And he says, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus says, don't tempt me. Get behind me. Don't tempt the Lord your God. And we go about it. He was tempted with with hunger. He was tempted with a physical ailment. He was tempted with with uh, rulership. The one that I believe that drove Jesus the craziest is when he says, "You see all these kingdoms." And this is this is just me. Don't don't. You know why that was such an unbelievable temptation to Jesus. Jesus was dispatched from heaven to do the work of the Father. How many times have we heard Him say, I only do the will of the Father. I only do what He tells me to do. I know from the beginning my assignment. Satan says, I'm going to give you this kingdom without you paying the price. I'm going to give you power 
And if, if you bow down before me, you won't have to die this horrific death. You won't have to do this mission. You won't have to go through and suffer. If, if you bow before me, I'm going to give you these kingdoms. How many times did Jesus say, my kingdom is not of this world? I personally believe that it was one of the toughest temptations that Jesus had to overcome because he knew the pain that was awaiting him. Even though it was three and a half years later. Do you remember in the garden when he's sweating drops of blood because the weight of all that sin and wrath is upon him and he who was never sinned became sin for us? Okay. So when he's starting off his ministry, the devil says, I'll give you all this kingdom. You don't have to die and I'll give you authority. Don't have to die, Jesus. Just worship me. I'll give you all this kingdom. Back to Matthew. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. What Jesus is triggered back to that wilderness experience. And here again, Jesus, you don't have to die. I'll protect you. And what Satan, what Peter were saying were the same thing. There's another way out. Why do I know that this is such a big temptation to Jesus? Because he prayed three times, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Now for Jesus to pray for something three times, he knows the cost. He knows what lays ahead of him. So, Satan and Peter are both saying, I'm going to give you a free pass on this crucifixion. I'll protect you or I'll give you authority. You don't have to do it God's way. To me, that's huge. So what Jesus is talking to Peter about, it's not, look, I I appreciate your loyalty, but you're getting in the way of the plan of God. I heard one outstanding minister saying, who done more for the ministry of Jesus? Was it Judas or was it Peter? His answer was Judas, because it was prophesied that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. He actually helped him fulfill his destiny. Peter tried to stop it. Just food for thought, I throw it out there. That's awesome to me. I get juiced about that kind of thinking. So, it blows me away how Peter can go from a hero of revelation to get behind me Satan. I just wanted to throw that out there to you. Man, we're almost out of time. Jesus said in 18, John 18, this, this kingdom is not, my kingdom is not of the world. You remember when they were jockeying for position, let me be on your right, let me be your right hand man, let me be your left hand man. Even, even mamas got involved and he's like, look, y'all, you're not getting it. If my, if my kingdom is of the world, my people would rise up and fight for me, but it's not of this world. My kingdom's, is a heavenly kingdom, it's a God kingdom, it's not this army stuff that you all are looking at. I want you to know that you're building something. And Jesus has to be the... Back in back in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, He said, we're living stones. And, and these living stones have to build on top of that cornerstone. He has to be the foundation of your life. He has to be the foundation of everything that you do. Um, we know that. 
Do you know that you're building something right now? You're building a life. You're building a career. Some of you may be building families. Some of you may be building a a resume. Some of you may be building a, a, a retirement. You're building something. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't build it upon the rock... It takes me immediately to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and it says, Therefore, those hearing these sayings of mine that do them, I liken him to a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat upon the house, but it fell not. Matthew chapter 7. Because it was founded upon a rock. 7 verse 26 and everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them shall shall be likened unto a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of that house you know what you're going to be able to tell what you've built your life on It's revealed when the storms hit your house. I don't like that. Because there's been storms that hit my house and it felt like a mighty fall. But then there's times when I've really been anchored and I've been in that cleft of that rock. I've been in that sweet spot with God and I, and I really built my life on, on this and, and the storm came and it, it, it stunk and it affected everything around me and, it, and there was damage, but it was still standing when the storm was over. So if you want to know what you're building your life upon, reference your last storm. And if you fell apart, you've got to get back to the rock. It's not that your heart's wrong, but maybe you've let your focus go. You know, we've all done that in certain seasons of our life. We don't know what we're made of until a storm comes and the rain beats the house. And you'll find out what you're made of. Did you stand? Or did you fold? I have mixed reviews in my life. There's times that I felt, man, I rocked that battle. Other times I'm like, I'm a wet puppy right now. I don't even know where I'm at. I've lost everything. I lost my faith. I lost my trust. And it varies from time to time. So that's why we've got to build upon this rock. That's the chief cornerstone. And we have to build upon Him. So, I digress. I hope I've thrown a few thoughts out there at you. I know I threw a lot of information out there. And maybe we should chew on some of these points at a slower rate. But uh... Thank you for joining us for this Wednesday evening podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. You can find more out about us at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com and by liking us on Facebook.